my voice is quite gruff, but it, I thought I could use it like romantically. <laughs> so, I could, so I'm going to try it out on Jack's later. My love, my love. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if you guys experience this thing as well. Some of, the, of you old codgers who've been around the block, um, have you noticed how some sweets especially have just got smaller over the years, hey? It's not fair. I mean, I don't know if you guys can think of any, like the, those Easter eggs, hey? The Pringles, and also those, um, those fist pops. But it seems like lately they've come out with some big fist pop. But anyway, so why I said that is because I really wanted to be um, prepared tonight so that I didn't have to use my glasses and I printed these notes for myself with a font that's 14. And it's not what it used to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the font is... <laughs> hey, <y'all. laughs> Jack's going to tell that story. <laughs> Jack's did that once on a photo. <laughs> True story. Sorry, my love, I had to say it. But anyway, that's not what I want to talk about tonight. Um, so, Jackson and I have really been in a cool season where we've had lots of exposure to our grandkids. And um, it's just such a wonderful thing, and it's reawakened all these, these things in us, you know, um, that you forget 30-plus years ago being a mom or dad to small little things. But having kids around us, and um, having our grandson, Ben, come and stay with us for a few weeks, uh, for a few days, a couple of weeks ago, it just reminded us of all these things that you do with kids that, that was kind of awakened. And one of them was this thing of peekaboo. So, so you guys that are parents and grandparents, you'll know that game, right? It's peekaboo and you hide. So it's peekaboo. And then... And then and what comes after peekaboo? I see you. I see you. And, you know, God has spoken to me so much in the time that we've spent with our grandkids, especially in those moments, those tender moments when they just creep into your arms and fall asleep or, you know, just their, their posture towards you. And um, even when they've been a little bit naughty and they, they come up to you and they, you know, there's just a softness. And, but this thing of Peekaboo really stuck with me. Peekaboo, I see you. And I started realizing how important it is for children to know that their parents see them. I mean, a kid going on a merry-go-round 70 times. Every time they come past their mom, mom! You know, it's like, I see you, I see you. Like every time, or up and down on the bicycle. Like, dad, you know. You see me, and, and it's just such a wonderful thing to see kids when you appear from that peekaboo. You hide away, and there's almost a little bit of anxiety in, in, their, in their faces. And then as soon as you appear, and it's, I see you. Such a wonderful thing, because they know that you see them, and there's security, and there's love, and there's, it's just a presence you know, and somehow I think when we get big, nothing changes. 
you and I. When we get grown up, we still want to be seen. We still want, we still want to know that someone sees us. And I think there's a desire for all of us to know that God sees us. And I'm hoping that tonight, as I just share some, some thoughts, that we really have an understanding that God sees us. But not only that He sees us, but that He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. Um, there's a scripture that I've, I've, I've got up. It's 139, verse 2 to 4, Psalms. Um, let me read it up here rather. You know when I sit and when I rise, this is David speaking, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. Isn't that wonderful? But the thing is, it's not only just God seeing us. He lets us know that I see you. But in those moments when we do have an interaction with him, and we're able to, to understand that he sees us, he reveals himself to us as well. And he shows himself. So it's wonderful to know that we are seen, but it's also beautiful to know that we can see this God who's close. He's not some distant God. He's not some faraway God. He's close, and he knows us, and he loves us. And so I'm going to share some, some accounts that we'll find in the New Testament where, where Jesus encountered um, people, where he said to them, I see you. And so we're just going to go through some of, of those stories. But I, I must say, when, when I read scriptures like this, it just reflects this this thing of God and his all-knowing nature. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles. And he understands every single word and action. It's, it's from top to bottom. He knows us. Um, and the writer of Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Everything. It's insane just to think that there is nothing, there is nothing that is hidden from God. And so let's unpack some of these encounters that Jesus has with people. Or shall I say that people have with, with Jesus? And the first one that I want to highlight is, is um, a guy called Zacchaeus. You guys, uh, you guys might, might have heard of him. He's, the Bible says he's a short guy. I don't want to be nasty, but I think of me and Theo and guys. <laughs> Theo, you, you're not, I think you're taller than me, eh? But Zacchaeus, he was a, a really short guy. And he was a, he was a tax collector he wasn't the, f the favorite of the, of the people. In fact, many people despised him. He was a wealthy guy. He had lots of bucks. He had lots of status. But he'd heard about Jesus. And 
he decided that he wanted to position himself to see Jesus. So he found a, a tree. It is a, a, a sycamore fig tree. I nearly said sycamore fig tree. But anyway, it's a, <laughs> if I say stuff like that, just help me. Because at least I noticed it this time. But he climbs up the sycamore tree. And so this is, this is um, in a town that Jesus is passing through, or a city. And when Jesus gets to him, he looks up at him. Like he stops underneath the tree. This is a guy who just wanted to mind his own business and get a glimpse of this guy that he'd heard about. And this guy that he heard about said to him, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your posse. Let's go. I mean, how's that? Surely he had an agenda. Surely he had stuff to do. Surely he had luncheons to attend. But he stopped in his tracks and he said to him, I see you. I see you and I know you. I'm coming to your spot. Let's go and chow. You know, let's look each other in the eye. And Zacchaeus um, stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, Lord. So before I say that, there were people that were grumpy about this, eh? And they said, why is he going off to that guy's house? But in that encounter in recognizing that this guy knows me and he sees me, was enough for a level of repentance to well up in him to the point where he said, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Here's a guy that was living outside the boundaries of what we think Jesus is. He was outside of that. He was a guy that didn't know. He didn't go to church. He didn't do all the right things. He didn't say the right things. But I think he was stuck in his ways. He was quite wealthy. He had it all. He had everything that he needed. But just positioning himself to see the one who made it all possible for us was enough for Jesus. And so this is just one guy where we see understanding that God sees us and then seeing brings about repentance, uh, true repentance. Not just, sorry, I'm so bad, Lord, and then I go back to my ways. No, no, no. no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to change. And there's a call to action. I think he probably would have been worried as well about what people thought. Hey? What are people going to think if that guy comes to my house? What are people going to think if I start going to church? What are people going to think um, when they see me going to come and I'm the guy that's done some deals? You know some deals? Maybe there's a bit of Zacchaeus in us, in all of us. Another account is the, the one of the Samaritan woman. 
this, this account for me is fascinating because it's filled with, with stuff that we see today. There's politics going on. There's gender stuff going on. And there's a woman who who's just seems to have it all in place but doesn't. She tries to hide things. Let's, okay, have you got some stuff or do I need to read it here? Eh? Oh, there it is. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, in, in those times, the politics of the region was hectic because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. There was no, nothing of togetherness. And, and there were also gender stuff. You wouldn't find men just talking to women. It was very, very sensitive. Um, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So here's a woman coming to the well at noon. Now, most of the women would have gone to the well in the morning when it was cool. But she was avoiding contact with other people, with other women that could probably point fingers at her. Because I believe she was a woman that was marginalized for whatever reason. She'd fallen trapped to her circumstances. Maybe there was stuff going on in her world that was out of her control. But there she was. And she just wanted to avoid people. And here comes this guy, a Jew, and he says to her, hey, give me a drink. And I, I think if, if this was in South Africa, she would have gone, hey, Wena, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, why are you asking me for a drink? And Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate it with Samaritans, except Jesus, Right? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be, um, will be thirsty again. So Jesus starts talking about this living water. And, and she's smart, man. Not only is she she's streetwise, because she says to him, why are you talking to me? You know? and, and now he's starting to lay things out and talk about living water. And she's like, yeah, but you don't even have anything to draw water from, man. Where, how are you going to get this water? And so Jesus continues and says, but if you drink this living water, you won't get thirsty. And then... Um, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, she still misses the point. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here and drawing water. She still doesn't get it. So, give me some. If you can do it, give me some, then I won't have to keep coming back here. He told her. Now, I think at this point Jesus had enough. He'd had enough, and he says to her, go call your husband. And she says to him, I don't have a husband. In that moment, the mask comes off. Peekaboo. 
I see you. Jesus said to you, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, now she tries to sidestep and deflect. She sees the mask is coming off, and she's getting uncomfortable, and now she tries to sidestep with with a bit of politics and religion. And she says, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you still when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they I <laughs> for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Thanks, okay. <laughs> the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Still, still a little bit in the dark, eh? And then the big reveal comes. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And then his, his disciples came into the picture. But he took the mask off this woman and he said to her, I see you. He knew everything about her. He knew how many um, husbands she had. He knew her struggles in being marginalized and finding herself in a situation where she just had to, to, to be sustained in life, in the, in the environment that she was living in. You have to be married. So I'll just marry another husband, and then another, and then another. And the guy that I'm with is not even my husband. Jesus knew all this, and yet he chose to connect with her. He chose to lovingly reveal himself to her and guide her into a place where he could say to her, that one is me. It is me. And then, of course, um, many of us know the story where she, she took those jars with water in that probably represent every hardship and burden that she ever carried. She threw them down. And I, I can just picturing, picture her uh, releasing herself of this garment that was hanging low and giving herself space to run. And poof, she ran to the, to the town and she told people, you'll never guess. I've just been in contact with someone that knew everything about me. Come, you need to see him. And many, many people believed. And... I just want to say maybe, maybe her story is not that different from ours. Maybe we've had a tough start, man. Hansi, Brew, I feel like you could have just kept going, you know, and, and not, not had a preach. But some of us have had a raw deal to start with. And we've tried to make our way. Things haven't always worked out. And we've had to work our way through things in our own strength often, eh? Especially when we mess up. Yes, we feel we've got, to, we've got to fix it ourselves in our own strength. And then we avoid things. 
We put up a pose. No one knows. I got everything together. Chariots of fire music following me. No, sometimes it's not the case. Jesus says, I see you. You can take the mask off. It's me. It's me. There's another account in Mark 10, verse um, 17. It's the one of the rich young ruler. This, um, this rich guy comes to him. Okay, I can't remember if I gave that to you. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. I can tell the story. Um, so this, this rich young guy comes to Jesus and says, Lord, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And there's interaction between the two of them. And, and, and Jesus gives him some pointers. And he says, but I've done all that stuff. I've been there, man. I've done that. We've got something. What must I do to inherit the eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not um, commit adultery and so on. Teacher declared, I've been doing all these things since I was a boy. Like a religious, eh? Eh? He knows all the stuff. He He knows the commandments. He knows the word. But then um, Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I'm not saying... Every single person that comes into contact with Jesus, he says to them, you got a problem. You're too rich. Sell everything and follow me. It's, it's different for different people. But for this guy, it was, there's something that is holding you back from connecting with me. And it could be a spirit of religion. You think you've done it all. You think you've been going to church for all these years. Even sang in the choir. Go to Com every Wednesday. And go and watch rugby when you could be doing other things. He's done it all. And the thing is, he exercised a right that Jesus gave him to walk away. Jesus didn't go after him and said, okay, maybe don't come on Wednesdays. Maybe, I tell you what, just come every second Sunday because I know life is tough for you being rich and all. You've got businesses to maintain. Maybe just come every, once a month will be fine. I, I'd seriously feel that Jesus might have had tears in his eyes as he watched this guy go because he loved him. Do, do these things strike a chord with any of us? Maybe. And this is the thing. Whenever we, we encounter Jesus, we have a choice. We can choose how we respond to him. Peter. Yo, we love we love Peter, the disciple Peter, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run through his, his story quickly. Jesus called him. He, you know, these guys were fishing, man. These, he probably I think Peter 
if he was a modern day guy, he would have come from Brakpan. Okay? He would have been fishing at Brakpan Dam. Okay? And Jesus would have said, come. And he did. Off he went. And he, he followed. And he gave, he gave of himself. And then there came a time where Jesus said to him, Peter, you're going you're gonna to disown me, but... And he says, no, not me, not me. And he says, watch, when the cock crows three times, you will have done it. And um, during the crucifixion, um, in the, in the build-up to, to the crucifixion, the, the disciples were literally on the run. They were fearing for their lives. And someone said, hey, aren't you, aren't you that guy that... And he's like, no, 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 not me. And then someone else said to him, the woman like, hey, you hang out with those um, Galilee, it's you, hey? No, 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 not me. And then a third time, someone else said, aren't you one of those guys? And he said, no, 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 not me. And if we go to Luke 22, um, I think it's verse 60, um, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And, and these words just, <clears throat> the words that Jesus, or not, not the words that the, the scripture reveals to us here, just speak so much because he says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Hey? He was convicted in that moment. This is a guy that was following Jesus for three years. He would have known his bathroom activities. That's how close they were. And yet this happens. And it can happen to us. And the wonderful thing is, um, a, a few days later, the Marys, there were two Marys, and I can't remember the other lady's name. They went to the grave to go and sort some things out. And an angel appeared to them. And, and the angel said to them, go. The guy you're looking for isn't here. Jesus is not here. He's risen. Go, you'll find him in Galilee. And go and tell the disciples, they must go there and wait. But he, he just says two words that are crazy. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Hey? Go and tell the disciples and Peter to go and wait for me. He knew. He knew what was happening in Peter's heart. He knew that he'd messed up. But he loved him. And he saw something in Peter that Peter didn't see in himself. And there was that wonderful account a little bit later on where Jesus met the guys and there was a fish fry and all that stuff. They must have been Josh Jen members. And, and um, one of the disciples, I think it was John, because Jesus had just helped them catch this massive haul of fish. And, and John says, I'm sure it's the Lord. When Peter heard that, he didn't even like strip down to his speedo. He, he just jumped in with all his clothes on. 
And, and of course, later on, Jesus reinstated Peter. That's that scripture where he says to him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then he says to him, follow me. Follow me. And you see, when we encounter Jesus, there's this repentance. Jesus, I mean, Peter wept. But Jesus never left him or forsaked him. Forsaked, forsook him. Forsaked him. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Thanks, Jax. He, he never did that. And then he reinstated him. And, and those words echoed true where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you, my boy, are the rock. And upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is an offensive language that says, I'm going to go places with you in the church. And the gates of hell will not hold, be able to withstand the onslaught of the church on fire. Does that ring true with us? Oh man, we've seen Jesus. He's revealed himself to us. We've followed. We've been fervent. And we've somehow, we've somehow got sidetracked. We somehow find ourselves in a place where we're no longer able to serve. We find ourselves in a place where, where we feel that we've lost the gaze of the Father. He's no longer looking. And so we find ways to get his attention by doing stuff, by being present, by, by getting stuck in and, and working hard and, and being everywhere. And, you know, not that that in itself is bad at all. But how it must grieve the Father's heart when we, when we feel we have to do stuff to get his attention as opposed to a different motive. I do stuff because the God of the universe sees me and he loves me and he knows me and he equips me and he sends me. Even as Christians we fall, but Jesus restores. I just want to end off on, on, a, on a story that goes back to the, New, the Old Testament and it's a story of a lady by the name of Hagar. I think that's how you say it. Um, Sarah and Abram were getting impatient with, with God. Not, they felt that he wasn't delivering his side of the deal in terms of her falling pregnant. So they decided together that they would bring Sarah's maidservant into it, Hagar. And um, Abram would sleep with her and and there'd be a child on the pic in the picture, and, um, and that would solve things. But it didn't. It got messy. Emotions came into the thing. Possibly, yeah, emotions came into it. And Sarah went to Abram and said, listen, this woman's pregnant. I don't think I can stand having her around. You know? And um, Abram said, well, look, you must do what you need to do. And, and she just made um, Hagar's life miserable. And eventually Hagar said, I can't take this anymore. And off she went. And, and an angel appeared to her and said, hey, what's going on? She said, no, my boss is... Uh, does it sound familiar? My boss is being unfair to me. 
and now I'm going to resign and I can't take it anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And the angel says to her, you get back now. No dilly-dallying. You get back now and you honor your master. But then the angel says, and, and God will, there'll be multitudes that will, that will come of this. And, and I love what happened. Hagar says this. Um, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I think she was the first woman in the Bible, first person probably that gave God a name. God who sees me. And it's quite interesting because the fact that she understood that God saw her enabled him, enabled her to see God. Because later on when she'd given birth to Ishmael, things got really bad in the household. And um, Sarah said to Vachishyeh, and through Abram, he said to her, sorry, you're going to have to go. And that was after um, Sarah had had her own child. And um, he has this woman with a child. And they were dying, man. She'd finished her water. She put Ishmael under a tree, and she walked as far as, like a bow shot. I don't know how far that is, a stone's throw. Just enough to be able to hear him crying. And then she sat down, ready to die. And an angel came back and said, God heard him. God heard him crying, and he's here. He's in the picture. And there was restoration that happened. And Ishmael became an archer, and his story is history. But there was restoration. And this from a woman who named God and said, a God who sees me. That's all. A God who sees me. And so, friends, <clears throat> just as, as I perhaps start bringing this thing into land, I think that the characters that we've spoken about now represent something in all of us. I mean, these accounts don't only represent unbelievers because there were unbelievers in the mix, but people like you and I, people who are making a go of it. And God says, I see you. He says, I see you. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we have made bad choices. And we do make bad choices. And we get ourselves into a place where we literally, we don't know where to go. We've wriggled in our own strength. We've wriggled this way and we've wriggled that way. And eventually we're stuck. We literally can't move. We can't go backwards. We can't go forwards. And we're stuck in this place. And sometimes we feel we can't tell anyone. And that's not what God wants. For many of us, even though we've encountered the living God, the enemy somehow still has a foothold. I think a lot of, a lot of the things that we struggle with, especially when we've made mistakes and poor decisions, our lies about ourselves and our identity. Because when we get stuck, we become accused. We get accused. This is who you are. 
and we somehow lose our identity. And we find ourselves maybe in a place where we say, I can't be forgiven. Or we find ourselves in a place where we feel that even though we know the scripture, he is enough. His grace is sufficient. Not in this, not in this case, Lord. I know I've got to do this myself. I've got to work with it. And sometimes I think instead of drawing close at times like this and embracing his, his intimacy, we pull away. And the masks come up. After all, I've got myself into this. I'll have to get myself out. God knows this. He knows that too. He knows that we struggle. He knows that we get stuck. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Consider him who went to the cross, who shed his blood, so that you and I could experience freedom. Folks, many of us find ourselves in enemy territory, eh? Many of us. But there's hope. There's hope. He says, I can make you new. And he starts with us. He starts in our heart. And he says, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. And for those of us that are in Christ, we've been born again. We've been restored. We've been made new. Redeemed and restored for his glory. And that transformation begins when we turn away from our sins. When we turn away from the things that hold us back. And, and sometimes it's not that we are blatantly disregarding things. Sometimes we just, certain things we just bury in a deep place. We just bury them away. Things that happened long time ago. Things that we never even want to imagine could ever happen again. I don't know what those things are for many of us. But we seem to bury those things. And I just feel Jesus says, I'm in your heart now. There's no place for that. There's no more place for that in your heart. Because I'm in your heart. Two Corinthians ten verse three to five says, For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take, every, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Bring it into the light. That's what God is challenging me. Bring it into the light. Then you won't be accused anymore, my boy. My child, bring it into the light. Because then we, we can't be accused. We, our identity is firmly in him. 2 Corinthians um, 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Wonderful. Just as I, <clears throat> as I bring this in, renewing of our minds is a process. It, it really is a process. There's that scripture in Romans where Paul says, don't conform any longer to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you can test and approve approve my perfect and pleasing will. So it's, it's a process of renewing our mind, but it starts here, and it starts here, and understanding that you and I are children of the living God. He's adopted us into his family. We are his. And if ever we get to a point where we feel that Jesus is, doesn't see us. His gaze is elsewhere. It's so good to remember those words where Jesus said on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced that so that, so that we would never feel abandoned again. He experienced abandonment on the cross so that you and I would never, ever have to feel forsaken ever again. We've been bought by the precious, precious blood of Jesus. We've been cleansed of all our sins. And we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Hey? We, we, we almost have a, what do the Afrikaners call it? A chop, a tattoo. It's like a, I don't, it's a seal that, that would cause heavenly bodies to see that is a child of God. The mark and the seal of the Spirit is in our hearts. We carry the Holy Spirit in us. And those weapons that are spoken of in the Scripture that we have at our disposal, the Holy Spirit is, is that, along with repentance. What a beautiful thing. And I want to wrap up with the Scripture in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Who does he see? His children. Flourishing. Flourishing, being set free, no longer captives, so that they can make an impact in a world that is full of darkness and is hopeless. You and I, set free by the blood of Jesus so that we can make a difference and glorify God. And then that scripture um, that, John, I think you were referring to, 
Um, uh, is it 1 Peter? A royal priesthood. A chosen people. That's you and I. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow. That's you and I. Uh, let, us, let us take this church and run. Let us run with that that God has for us and no longer be bound. The beauty is that not only are we seen by God, and he reveals himself to us. He, he brings us out of the darkness and into his glorious light. And in that light is a wonderful community of other Christians where we can express our gifts and we can bring things into the light. What a wonderful thing. Let us not be held back by things that are locked in our hearts that prevent us from moving forward. Because sometimes we can get so stuck in that place that the enemy doesn't even have to get involved. We're already powerless. And so let us take that that God has for us and run with it. Father, as we, as we come to worship you now, Lord God, I pray, Father God, that if, if there are those among us who don't know you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to each of those folk, Lord, that, that you would remind them that you see them. But Father, for many of us who have seemed to have got stuck in this right, Lord, we no longer think you are, can even see us, Lord. Remind us that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you know us, that you see us, Lord. And for some of us, Lord, it may be a commissioning to say, go. Follow me and then go. And so, Lord, as we, as we come to worship you, as we behold you, Lord, as we behold your holiness, as we stand in awe of your love for us, Lord God, your nature, your beauty, your character, Lord, who is all-seeing, all-knowing, I pray that you'd speak to us during this time of worship, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to us, that we may see you in a fresh, new way, Lord God. And so speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So worship. Oh, you guys are here. Awesome. Guys, let's worship.